You're listening to our weekly podcast, Getting in the Word with Stuart Guthrie. Stuart is the teaching pastor of Family Bible Fellowship of Ridgeville in Early Branch, South Carolina. We hope to grow together with you, seeking real knowledge from the truth, the Word of God. Here's Stuart. Well, good morning, guys. Welcome to Getting in the Word. It's always a privilege and honor to have you. An exciting time to uh, to be back uh, with you guys. And uh, I know we haven't really left, but nevertheless, maybe in my mental capacity, I'm back with you. I finished all my coursework and and what a blessing that was. And so uh, I'm glad to be done with that. And now it's uh, the final approach to my final project, my dissertation on the book of Titus on the anatomy of a healthy church as it relates to leadership, membership, and partnership in the gospel. So continue to pray as I work through that, and uh, we are always blessed to have you pray for that. And again, we want to welcome you. If you're joining us for the first time, we want to especially welcome you. It's been a delight and a privilege uh, to have you guys uh, who have been consistently here. It's been great to get to know you and uh, and to build really great relationships with many of you. And so thanks again, and, and I hope you've enjoyed our time here. We've been working through uh, doctrine, um, theology uh, on Tuesdays. We have finished up a 10-week series on the doctor, doctrine of salvation. Um, that was a wonderful study um, at least I learned a lot and was encouraged by it. And then we decided to jump in on uh, the doctrine of Satan and really uh, uh, to deals with our adversary, the, the devil. And so um, last week, if you recall, we looked at the reality of Satan. We, we, we reminded uh, each one of us here that Satan, the idea of Satan, is not simply a personification of evil, but he is indeed an actual person. And we looked at the evidence of that from Scripture. We looked at the evidence of that through his personality, his traits, that he has a personality, that he has intellect, emotions, desire, and even will. We looked at the fact that in Scripture he is defined with a the pronoun of personality from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And then we we looked at what I thought was really convincing was the, the moral responsibility of personality, meaning because he is a real person, he will pay the penalty. Uh, he will be held accountable. And then we looked at his nature from creation, the fact that he is a spirit being, and then we talked about his name, the names. And, you know, someone asked me, I think on here, why don't we just call uh, either the devil Satan and, and that alone? Well, Scripture gives them many different names. A matter of fact, Satan used about 52 times from the Hebrew, and Satan meaning adversary or opposer. The name that we have in English is, is just a transliteration of the original uh, Hebrew word. So nevertheless, it, it, whatever we call him, it refers to the individual whom God created, the devil, Satan. Uh, John records him as, as the serpent. 
um, the Red Dragon. We looked at all of the different names. And so um, I think the reality is, is, is he can be called many different things, but specifically he was a created uh, angel. And that's kind of what we're going to look at today is the creation and sin of Satan. And so let's begin by opening our time with a word of prayer, and then we'll jump right in. Father God, I thank you for the privilege and the honor to be here today. I ask that you use this time for your glory, for your honor. Help us to become more aware of the devil, Satan, and his schemes against humanity. And so, Father, help us to be wise and alert and uh, be students of the enemy. We thank you, Lord, and we ask you bless this time together, and we ask it all in the precious name of Christ. Amen. Well, I want to begin by uh, making the claim, first off, um, that he, and indeed, the, the Satan was a created being. And so let's begin by looking first at the time of his creation. Uh, here, here's the deal. If, indeed, Satan was not a created being, then that would make him eternal. And we know that's problematic. He, he, if, he's, if he is not a created being, then he must be eternal. He must be self-existence. And that would lead to dualism, uh, that which is ultimately incompatible with, uh, with monotheism, that there is one God eternally existing in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. And so uh, the scriptures um, declare that all things were created by him and through him, right? We see that in 1 John 3, or John, John 1, 3, and we looked at that last week in Colossians. Flip over there to John 1, 3. Let's, let's read a couple of those verses this morning because I, I want to make it very clear that uh, Satan was indeed a created being, and, and we're going to look at the time frame in which he was created. He says here in John 1, 3, all things came into being through him, and apart from nothing, came in, uh, apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. So here we find the definitive reality that uh, everything has been created. And then as we come to Colossians chapter uh, 1, we find that strong reminder uh, of, of creation uh, that has been made possible by Christ. And we see that in verses 16 and 17. For by him all things were created. All means all. It means everything. Both in heaven and on earth. Visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things. And in him all things hold together. So here we find that reality that God alone is the one who creates something from nothing. He is the only eternal, existing, single God alone. 
Everyone else is a false god. There is only one God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so while we don't know the time specifically of his creation, if Ezekiel 28, 13 refers to Satan in the earthly garden of Eden, then he had to have been created before God planted the Garden of Eden. Now, there is great debate on the idea of whether Ezekiel 28 is a chapter that has a dual meaning. And so it's important to kind of understand the argument, but I don't want to get too theological here because I'm going to go ahead and, and give you my conclusion as to Ezekiel chapter 28, and I believe that it indeed goes beyond the human leader, uh, the leader of Tyra, uh, uh, to reveal something else other than that specific person. And so really, if you study it, there are six different uh, things that it could mean or that it's referring to as, 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 as it's referring to the king of Tyra. But nevertheless, I believe it's talking about Satan's masterpiece, the Antichrist. And so I want us to consider and understand that when it comes to the idea of the flowery, the, the, the highly figurative language in this passage in Ezekiel um, 28, then I think we have the right and the ability to come up with the conclusion that, that, that it is possible with all of the language and superlatives and figures to be true um, of both an earthly king and also a future or a, 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 a understanding that the other sec part of that is talking about Satan. So it, it would be, of course, uh, not unusual for the, the prophetic message to refer both to the local and to the one who it fully fulfills. And so I'm going to go from the conclusion that Ezekiel 28 does and is talking about not only the king of Tyra, but also Satan himself. So assuming that Satan is the picture of these events, what do we learn about his original characteristics at his creation? So whatever specifics these verses teach, they convey the clear idea that Satan was highly privileged. He, he, he was the epitome of God's creation, and he had an unusual and unparalleled position in the universe. And so I want us to see that first, Satan had an unparalleled wisdom and beauty. We see there in Ezekiel chapter 28, that Satan stood at the zenith of God's creation, filled with wisdom and perfect in beauty. Now you can go back and and read those um, those passages if you want um, in Ezekiel 
12. Secondly, I want you to see that Satan has an unparalleled habitation. Verse 13, this, this may refer to the heavenly Eden or to the earthly Eden. In either case, it was before sin entered a unique place. So here in verse 13, you were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was covering. And then we, we find this beauty and extravagance. As the third thing I want you to see is that Satan had an unparalleled covering. We learn that in verse 13, you find this dazzling description of his dress, of his robes, indicating that something of the glory of God has been bestowed on him. And so he was a, a very powerful and beautiful created angel. So not only do we see the, the unparalleled wisdom and beauty, the, the unparalleled habitation, the unparalleled covering, Satan has, fourthly, an unparalleled function. Verse 14, he belonged to the, 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 the order of angelic creatures designed designated cherubim. They are associated with guarding the holiness of God. Think about that. Here, God created this a great and mighty angel, and, and they are to guard the holiness of God. That's Genesis 3.24, we see that. And with the throne of God, the, in Ezekiel 1.5, and here, we, we apparently with the actual presence of God. So, so here you have this created, powerful, beautiful angel in the very presence of God. Satan was on the holy mountain of God. He walked in the midst, it says, of stones and fire, likely referring to the presence of God himself. Apparently, Satan was the chief, guardian of God's holiness and majesty. Imagine that power and the authority that had been granted to this angel, this created angelic being. So he also, Satan number five, has an unparalleled perfection. And so here would be one of the arguments that as we relate uh, chapter 28, it would seem difficult <laughs> to apply verse 14 and 15 of Ezekiel 28 to a mere man. So, so when Ezekiel's teaching here, he's teaching, yes, about the king of Tyra, but he's also in the same swoop referring maybe to Satan himself. And so here we find in Ezekiel 28, 15, he was perfect in the sense of being completely sound and having total moral integrity. Yeah, that's the devil pre-fall. Here, as well as in verse 13, we are reminded that Satan was created, and as a creature, he must someday answer to his creator. So everywhere Satan was, 
he was the epitome of God's creation. I'll read this quote. He awoke in the first moment of his existence in order, uh, in full orbit beauty and power of his exalted position, surrounded by the magnificent which God gave him. He saw himself as above all host in power, wisdom, and beauty. Only at the throne of God itself did he see more than himself possess. And it is possible that even that was in some sense not fully visible to the eyes of the creature. Before his fall, he may be said to have occupied the role of prime minister to God, ruling possibly over the universe, but certainly over this world. So I, I, I think that we see the characteristics of his creation. Uh, but, but what I think we, we really need to grasp and understand, because there can be much confusion here, is his sin. The, the original sin that came about through Satan, the origins of Satan's sin, Sin was found in him in Ezekiel 28, 15. Listen to what it says. It says in Ezekiel 28, 15, You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until unrighteousness was found in you. I think that I would, I, I've circled in my Bible the word found. I find that very interesting. And maybe as we work through, some of that will come about and become clear. Sin was found in him. So this is, this is really the only verse in the Bible that states exactly the origin, the origin of sin. The details of, of Satan's sin are specified elsewhere, but the origin is only expressed here. Barnhouse terms it, as spontaneous generation in the heart of this being in whom such magnificence of power and beauty have been combined, combined and to whom such authority and privilege had been given. This sin must have included the eternal plan of God. God is all-knowing. God is not bound by time. Therefore, everything that happens in the, the span of life and humanity is ultimately understood and known by God and therefore in the very plan of God. But it's interesting, isn't it, to, to consider that? Because when you think about it, God never assumes the responsibility for the commission of any sin, including Satan's sin. Uh, one gentleman said it this way, according to the Bible, then sin originated in an act of free will. So, you know, there is this idea where man wants to remove the free will of, of, of man, 
and overshadow it with the sovereignty of God. But listen, isn't there a reality in which, as a father to a child, he has free will to choose to go left or to go right, to do right or to do wrong? Right? When I say, son, don't run out into the street, he may run out into the street. Why? Well, because he has the ability to think for himself, to make logical decisions. Now, where I may not allow him to go in that street. I may grab him by the shirt and snatch him back and say, son, don't do that. But have you ever said to someone you loved, don't do this, and you watched him do it? Right? And you had the ability to stop them, but maybe you did it. And I think that's what he is saying here, is that God had the ability to stop it. But because of his loving relationship with his people not being a robot, he allowed them to do the very thing that was in his heart. And he was found with sin. So, so sin originated in the act of free will in which the creature deliberately, responsibly, and with, with adequate understanding of the issues chose to corrupt the holy character of godliness with which God had endowed on his creation. So, so the reality is that Satan's sin necessarily. And God is rightly angered with all of sin. He will justly and timely, he will pour out retribution to all who have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, who do not believe the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And listen, the denial of this free will seems to purely uh, uh, seem, seem un unnecessary contrary to the biblical view, if God is rightly angered with sin, then it follows that the sinner is blameworthy. That should make us understand that if someone chooses to disbar themselves from God, they are held on responsible for that. Listen, the only reason one dies and goes to hell is because they've chosen to reject Almighty God. Because of their sin, there's a separation between them and God, Isaiah 59, 2 says. But in reality, God has provided a way of escape, yet they love their sin and they reject the one true God whom they know exists because God has created them, therefore, through the cosmos through his general revelation the bible says in romans chapter one all are without excuse if you're listening this morning you need to understand you have sinned and fallen short of the glory of god and your sin will lead you to hell unless you have been saved delivered forgiven made right before a holy and righteous god if God is rightly angered by sin, and he is, he will pour out his wrath and justice. Then listen, the sinner is blameworthy. Sin 
must be within God's eternal decrees in some sense, in which He is not the author of it. You know, well, if God creates everything and God is over everything, then He created sin. That's heretical. Then you're assuming the perfect, holy, and righteous God is able to sin. Don't, don't go there, folks. We need to adjust our theology and understanding of God and sin. Listen, sin must be within God's eternal degree, decree. But nevertheless, he is not the author of it. Within the decrees of God, there are decrees of permission of those things of which God himself is not the author. This is not mere permission of the unavoidable. Sin was found in Satan, yet he was created perfect. God is not the blameworthy cause of Satan's sin, yet it was included in his plan. It has to be included in his plan because he knows the future. He knows all things. But nevertheless, God is not the author of sin. So, by the nature of Satan's sin, the New Testament pinpoints Satan's particular sin as arrogance, conceit, being puffed up. We see that in 1 Timothy 3.6. It's likened to the conceit a new convert may have when he is either pushed forward or asserts himself too quickly and begins to take to himself the glory that belongs only to God. What do I mean by that? Well, there may be some who are born again from above. They're saved. And uh, they begin to assert themselves and they begin to teach. They have no idea what they're teaching and they do it from a, a prideful standpoint and they begin to, to, to exalt, uh, exhort themselves and, and, and grab a hold of the glory that only belongs to God. In Ezekiel 28, in verse 16, assigns the cause of Satan's downfall uh, to the abundance of his trade. In other words, uh, Satan used his position for personal profit to traffic in his own self-promotion. Listen, we, we are living in a day, boy, when men are promoting themselves rather than God. Listen, it, 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 we ought not look at a man and go, how godly are you? We ought to look at a man and say, thank you for telling me how good God is. This Western, this, this, this East Coast, uh, this Eastern civilization has, has made... Christianity all about themselves. It's about God. It's about how good God is. How about how God has come into this world to rescue mankind? And what we see is Satan uses his position for personal profit. Has God given you a position in life that you've used for your own personal profit? Then you're like Satan in a way, because that's not the way God intended it. God giving you a position to exalt him, to give him glory. Stop glorifying man. 
By glorifying man, you help puff them up. You help encourage them to think they're God themselves when they're nothing but a mere sinner saved by grace in need of daily forgiveness. But that's what happened to Satan. He used his position to bring about his own self-proclamation. Isaiah gives more detail of Satan's sin. You can look that up in chapter 14, verses 12 to 7. Like Ezekiel, the first 11 uh, to 19, of verse 28 passage is theirs. There's a question as to whether or not it, this refers all to Satan. And so nevertheless, I, I think Satan is called uh, the morning star in, in Isaiah 14, 12. And we see this, this reality of Satan throughout his scriptures as a real person, real sinful, and, uh, and ultimately his desire is to uh, accomplish, to kill, steal, and destroy. So he, he, is, he, he has initiated uh, the plan uh, of his details in, in five I will phrases. So in Isaiah 14, we see these uh, I will uh, phrases. The first is I will ascend to heaven. As guardian of God's holiness, Satan has access to heaven. But this access has desire to occupy and settle in heaven on, e on an equality with God. Here, secondly, uh, he says, I will raise my throne above the stars of God. Um, the meaning of this depends on the understanding of what he means by stars. If they regard to angels, then Satan wished to rule over the angels. If they revolt, rever, uh, refer to uh, the, the illumination of heavenly bodies, then he wished to be the ruler of heaven. Thirdly, he says, I will sit on the mountain of assemblies in the, in the recess of the north. Um, here he's wanting to govern the universe. He says, fourthly, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. He, he wanted the glory that belonged to God. Clouds are always associated and often associated with God's presence. Remember the glory, the cloud tabernacle that came down among the tabernacle in the Old Testament. Fifthly, he says, I will make myself like the Most High. Here, his counterfeit is crystal clear. Satan wanted to be like, not unlike God. The name Elon for God stresses God's strength and sovereignty. Satan wanted to be as powerful as God. He wanted to exercise his authority and control in the world that rightfully only belongs to one, the one true God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so he wants to exercise his authority and control in this world, which again rightfully belongs to God alone. His sin was a direct challenge to the power and authority of God. So Satan's sin was 
all the more hideous because of the great privilege, the great intellect, the great wisdom, the great position that he had. His sin was more than damaging because of the widespread effects of it. The, it affected, listen, other angels, <laughs> Revelation 12, 7. It affects all people, e Ephesians 2, 2. And it positioned him as the ruler of this world, which he uses to promote his kingdom and to counterfeit God's. It's in effect all of the nations of the world for his works are designed to deceive all of us everywhere throughout this world. So all sin is serious and all sin affects others. But sin in high places is more serious and its ramifications more widespread. Listen, the sin of Satan should serve as a constant reminder and warning for us of just how capable we are to sin. So let me ask you a question today. How are you dealing with sin in your life? If you've never trusted in Christ, you, you're, you're not a believer, you're not a follower of Jesus, you've never personally received Christ, or maybe you're here today and you think for some reason you can work your way to heaven, that your good works are going to outweigh your, your bad works. Well, the reality is this. The, the Bible says your, your greatest deeds are filthy rags. And that in Galatians 2.20, that if we can be saved by the law, then Christ died needlessly. Listen, note, your sin made a separation between you and your God. He didn't even hear your prayers if you've never been a born-again believer. So here's the beauty of God. God sought after you. He relentlessly chased after you to deliver you and to save you from the impossible situation for which you find yourself because the Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one, and the wages of sin is death. Therefore, let me ask you a question. Have you put your faith in Christ? Sin is a problem. Sin will send you to hell just like there is a responsibility of Satan. He will pay the eternal consequences for his sin. He was created. You were created. He had power. You maybe not have as much power, but you have the ability like him to try to pr promote yourself, to live in pride. And sin will affect you just like it will affect Satan. And so let me ask you, how are you dealing with your sin? Are you uh, putting things in your life that help prevent sin? Or are you walking in sin? Because listen, without sanctification, no one will even sniff heaven. If you aren't being changed more into the image of Almighty God, His Son, Jesus Christ, you will not enter into the eternal heaven. The Bible says you must be progressively sanctified. He who began a good work in you will see it to completion. You will continue to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Christ. So how are you doing with your sin? 
Well, the Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is true for both believer and unbeliever. But that passage, my friends, is specifically contextually for the believer. For the believer. So if you are in Christ and you're living in sin, maybe you're having an affair on your wife or your husband. Maybe it's not a physical affair. Maybe it's just an emotional affair. Nevertheless, you're living in sin. The wages of sin is death, my friend. It is always death and will be always death. And if we can live in habitual sin, then, then we've missed it. You need to go back and listen to Pastor Gideon's message a few weeks ago on Romans. No, you will change. There will be change. And if there is no change, let me remind you, you've not had an encounter with Almighty God. And He definitely has not saved your soul. Because salvation is not done by works. It's not done by good deeds. It's not done by efforts. It's God who loved you and sought you and saved you and redeemed you by His grace and by His mercy. And when He saves you, He says, you are a new creation in Christ. The old things have passed away. Behold, the new have come. And so listen, today put your faith in Christ. Be forgiven of your sins and let Christ take your place on Calvary. Lest you end up with Satan in the final judgment. Eternally separated from God in hell. Prepared for the devil and his demons. So we've looked at the reality of Satan, the personality of Satan, the creation and sin of Satan. And next week, we're going to jump into the activities of Satan. Again, this study comes from a book called Basic Theology, put out by Charles Ryrie. It's a great book. I encourage you to get it and uh, read it and, uh, and follow along. And I think you'll be encouraged by it and I pray that as we walk through these, that we can be encouraged to see the hideousness of sin and the danger of the enemy who seeks to kill, steal, and destroy. This has been Getting in the Word with Pastor Stuart Guthrie. Thank you for listening to our weekly podcast. And be sure to visit us online at familybiblefellowship.org. And come see us in person on Sundays at 11 a.m.